All right, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast MBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a solo interview episode, the full episode with John and Chuck. Probably going to be coming every couple weeks. We haven't actually sat down and figured these things out. I can tell you, Chuck doesn't have a phone still, so that makes it more difficult or challenging or fulfilling, depending on how you like to look at obstacles. But uh, again, since we're in the deep August uh, off-season, we're going to probably every other week, although we have some exciting guests lined up. I think I've confirmed uh, one of my dream guests uh, soon. And when you find out who it is, you will laugh because you probably, the listener, will not be excited, but you will understand that is someone I wanted to talk to. Um, Anyway, so just stick around for that. We will try to keep putting out uh, probably Tuesday morning, Thursday afternoon releases for the time being. I should be able to keep that going. Got a little childcare. It really is uh, making things quite easier on uh, scheduling interviews and such. Uh, Not a whole lot going on in the NBA. Um, I did find out today that Adam Silver is buddies with Jared Kushner, which was kind of disturbing. Kind of shattered my image of Adam, although we knew there were skeletons in that closet. We knew when he's uh, the way he rose to power the way he's embraced the gambling had to be something, but so I found that out. Also, we had a little player movement. Sam Decker getting traded from the Clippers to the Cavs. Dan Gilbert went getting one of his good old boys uh, to join the team. Sam Decker, who a month ago angrily tweeted, I didn't vote for Trump, you dummy, when responding to a, a, a critic, but uh, Decker moving to uh, the Midwest, moving to a swing state. I don't know if I should read uh, politics into it, but it seemed like maybe there was something there. Maybe no longer welcome in in California. Maybe Dan Gilbert looking to get someone sympathetic to the cause. Much like the Bucks. Uh, Bucks have been collecting white players this offseason. Pacers, you know, they gave Doug McDermott a big contract. Anyway, we try to stay apolitical, but uh, we do actually mention Trump in today's episode, talking about LeBron and Trump. Uh, but we take a different angle than you might expect uh, with our guest, David Roth. So hopefully you will enjoy that. If you need more Fast Break Breakfast, we are putting up some extra stuff over on Patreon at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. We just posted a uh, maybe a 10-minute thing with Chuck answering a questionnaire all by himself, devised by one of our more devious listeners and Patreon supporters uh, at Teximista. He created an entire personality test for Chuck, so uh, that bonus audio is available for our patrons. Uh, You can get it for just $1. You know, $1 a month gets you access to that. We also have a video coming later this week where I and little Chase Buddy Bunger the Point Fourth review Dippin' Dots the cereal. Um, I don't think the Dippin' Dots cereal we got was made correctly, and we've contacted General Mills and Dippin' Dots. uh, no, No response. No response yet. But anyway, uh, there's a video coming out later this week, and there'll be more stuff coming out after that. Again, to get it, patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. Just $1 a month gets you into that bonus content. If you step up to $3, you can join the Slack chat where we talk about everything around the clock. Uh, Chuck, it's the only way to get in contact with Chuck, even if you have his phone number, because that phone number is useless. 
as I said. Also, uh, $5 a month, we'll be having our fantasy basketball signups uh, coming soon. Had someone to just join for that purpose. We'll, we will make the Patreon a little more explicit for what you have to do. But uh, if you want to go ahead and sign up to guarantee you get into one of our leagues, we had, I think, three or four. Or we had three leagues last year uh, looking to obviously have more because uh, each year you grow. That's the whole thing. Growth, it's good. So, again, if you want to support the show, you want to get involved with fantasy basketball, check out that bonus content, patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. One more time, patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. Hey, David, it's Keith. Hey, man, how are you? I'm sorry to make this such a um, suspense thriller all day, but I appreciate it. No worries, man. Comes with the gig. Yeah, I was waiting for uh, the people from the basketball tournament, that like a winner-take-all thing, to send me some art so I could run our story on that. Well, but tell, they did. Tell me everything about that. We're using this. Oh, good. All right, cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by that event. Have you paid much attention to it? I paid a ton of attention to it the last, the previous two seasons. I went hardcore behind a Vanderbilt team last year, got lots and lots of signups. I was very high in the money pool if they did oh, nice. what, if they did well, and then they pulled out the day of the tournament. My heart was broken. Uh, I avoided it this year. Matt Freegy, you son of a bitch. <laughs> exactly. Was it him? I mean, like, uh, I, I want to put it all on him. But. I believe Matt Freegy held an honorable role. Uh, he was a booster. I don't think he was actually suiting up, but yeah. it definitely I was. was uh, yeah. So it's all heroes. guys, like all the way down. It's just like dudes that you kind of remember from college or from like 10 day contracts and stuff. And uh, I was going back as I was, you know, I think I probably did more than my due diligence in editing this piece because I was constantly being like, well, who's on that Marquette alumni team? Right. And then I was like, oh, Travis Diener. That was worth it. You know, <laughs> like it's all uh, just like sort of rando dudes. So the story we ran by uh, Tim Casey, he's a freelancer I've worked with a bunch of times in the past, was about overseas elite, which is the team that's won four straight years now. They've won $7 million in this yeah. tournament. And it's all like, I mean, I don't, do you follow like college stuff as much as you do NBA stuff? No, I don't follow college at all. All right. Yeah. So most of these names probably wouldn't ring any bells. But if you've like just spent as many like dumb winter Saturdays watching like St. John's play DePaul, like it, these guys are just it's pure delight. Like just and they've become a juggernaut, but they're all dudes that like mostly play in China or, you know, like not even like the the craziest, highest paying European leagues are just like guys that play basketball for a living. And then they come over here and just like whip everyone's ass every summer and win money. Is there, have they released, is there going to be a time in the future when they release their secret Moneyball, like, program to how they have cracked this tournament? I, I mean, it seems like it, they sort of told Tim a little bit about it, but it's all kind of, like, anodyne. I think it's mostly just that they played together a lot. You know, that a lot of these teams are, uh, you know, some of them are alumni-based, like the, the Vandy team that, broke your poor heart yeah but they are and so you assume that some of those guys have been teammates but like the core of this roster it's like beyond the fact that they played together for four years it's like three guys that played together at st john's and it seems like that's how you get invited to join the team is you get uh basically you have to be invited it's like joining uh skull and bones or something like, <laughs> you know, like yeah. if you played with a uh, you know paris horn in china and you thought you were a cool dude then like maybe you get a chance to make $150,000 with overseas elite. 
Is there, like, has anyone tracked down how these guys have spent their money? Because, I mean, $7 million over four years, it's now like, I, I'm curious where the money ended up. Just in like, mortgages well, or, you know? I think it's just like part of their, you know, their salaries for the year. I mean, it the, the starts with uh, the first thing in the story is one of the team's better players is Eric McCollum, who is CJ's brother. Right, yeah. And who played at like an NAIA D2 school. Like, and also, I watched some highlights, like, just gave people buckets. Like, he's good. It's just like all these random guys that have never sniffed the NBA and probably won't. I mean, he's Eric McCollum's 30. But he talked at the beginning about the year they won first, and he just like got a check for $100,000 and just sort of crossed his fingers and brought it to the bank. It's like, (laughs) there's no way that this clears, right? And they apparently the bank put a hold on it, and then it cleared, and he was like, okay, all right. (laughs) (laughs) And they just took it from there. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just like, I mean, this is something that's always fascinated me as a reader and I've never successfully, you know, cause I'm not a very good reporter. Mostly, uh, have, have I not written anything interesting about it, but the people that sort of like that play in summer league because they're auditioning for teams in Greece. And then they just like, you know, for 10 years, they play in Europe, they make decent money, but like sometimes they don't get paid and basically are, you know, have limited profiles in the United States if they have a profile at all. Like the idea of, of basketball is just sort of like a weird job in a globalized economy is fascinating to me. Yeah. I just haven't, you know, there's only been so many people that have uh, really even like talked about it in a, a deeper way. And a lot of times when you see stuff about it, it's it's because something terrible happened to somebody. You know, <laughs> it's like Jackson Vroman drowning or whatever, or like, right. <laughs> or like Michael Wright getting shot or something like that. These are guys that like, you know, when was the last time that anybody thought about Jackson Vroman, right? I mean, like, but the dude, you know, whatever, was like making mid six figures playing basketball in Spain and enjoying himself right up until he passed. Yeah, I was actually just Googling one of the overseas elite guys, uh, Travis Bader. I don't know if he was on the uh, the version of the team this year. He was on at least two of them because I played roulette with him. And his and his, and his girlfriend at Vegas just randomly, you know, like like one year at NBA Summer League, it's just a guy wearing Warriors gear, like at I believe it was at the Bellagio, and you, you know you just talk to him, you're like, hey, are you, are you playing Summer League with the Warriors? Because he was he is a he's like a six foot white guy, you know, he like he's a someone shorter than me. So mm-hmm. the question, are you playing basketball, was a legitimate question, as, as opposed to like the uh, I can't remember that guy's name was like seven five. It was also playing for the Warriors that year. Anyway, like I, I, I was talking with him and he was playing in like the really like the ten dollar table and he had a stack of like thirty dollars. He was playing That's very conservatively. Fantastic. And so I was just <laughs> talking to him like, man, yeah, what are you doing? And so all this stuff. And I'd never heard of him because I don't follow college. Uh, I think he played Mich- somewhere in Michigan or something. But yeah, I don't remember the name. I mean, it's faintly familiar, but I got to tell you, when you started that sentence, I didn't think it was going to end with you playing roulette with the dude. Well, well there you go. Uh, the but, real, but real I, twist. I remember trying to track him down on Twitter when I saw them in the overseas, when I saw the overseas elite, like in the final, I think it was like three years ago. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to try to get that guy on the podcast. And I, 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 I like, I tweeted him several times like, Hey buddy, we played roulette together, but uh, <laughs> I'm yeah. sure you remember me. I was <laughs> struck by how conservatively you were playing. That's anyway, right. long story short, I'm taller than you and I have a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> you, well, you'd be surprised how much that pitch works. Um, yeah. I mean, whatever I'm here. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to give you a read an intro. We'll, we'll do it ha- midway in. So we've been talking with uh, a sports writer. For Deadspin, uh, a man who co-founded The Classical, is the host of Deadcast, and he also co-hosts the podcast Dave and Jeb Aren't Mean, which reviews Hallmark movies. David Roth, 
thank you for joining us and uh, thanks for sitting through the intro after thanks for, thanks for having me man thank you i want to thank all the listeners that were cool with me just saying college basketball players names for 10 minutes before you even told them who i was it is vaguely offensive and it is frowned upon typically especially after the draft but we can make <laughs> we can make uh exceptions so we always Very start generous. our shows that don't begin with weird college basketball talk uh, talking about <laughs> breakfast have you had breakfast today david and do you have, I a, have. okay what'd you have which would be concerning given that it's later in the afternoon as we speak. I have the same breakfast pretty much every day. Uh, I had a couple pieces of toast. I had a cut up piece of fruit and I had a, a couple of pieces of cheese with it and a, and a cup of coffee. Oh, so you I can, I can go into more depth if you'd like, but I, I'm, uh, I'm a creature of habit in that regard. Okay. I, I can take more depth. Is this going to be about the fruit, the coffee, the bread style? I mean, yeah, I'm happy to tell you. Uh, so today it was, uh, I had a, a corn rye bread. It was the last of that loaf. We have a, uh, we have a whole wheat on deck. And then, uh, and I had a nectarine. Oh, so yeah. you, ordinarily you... I'm an apple person, but you know, it's, it's, you gotta be seasonal in your approach with this. Otherwise it would get boring eating the same breakfast every day for years. I don't want to be judgmental, but that breakfast sounded healthy. Yeah, do, it was pretty all right. Do you eat healthy in other, uh, other meals of your day? Uh, I'd say breakfast is probably the healthiest of, of those. I mean, my wife is a pescatarian. Okay. So it, there's only so badly that I can fuck up, honestly, which is good. I mean, because I think when she's not here, I'd eat a lot of like sausage and pancetta and pasta and all that stuff. But, you know, she's concerned about that stuff. So I don't right. do as much of that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's sort of like accidentally I wound up eating healthier. Like I just, you know, I didn't give a single thought to any action that I took in my life until I was like 31 years old. And I have the, the oh. resume to prove it. But well, I, can, like, I can relate to that. Yeah, but I'm like 40 now and I, you know, like, so the few good habits that I have are mostly the result of me, like, liking vegetables and never having gotten into cigarettes or powders. <laughs> That's <laughs> I'll say it. I've started eating healthy or healthily since uh, having children. Like, I have a three-year-old and an 11-month-old, and now I do eat, like, cut up fruits and grains for breakfast as opposed yeah. to it used to be cake. Like I would just eat cake like, oh, oh, I've, I've sure been there too, dude. And I just got back from the Jersey Shore where I was on with my family. We get a place and stay there for a week each summer. And my parents who, you know, not to, I guess it's probably implied, raised me like I grew up in the same house as them. Uh, we're still close. They eat like fucking French toast every chance they get. Like <laughs> yeah. they will just, they're hardcore with it. And I love that stuff too. But I just never think to like, of all the things that, you know, I work from home a lot of time, I work from home today. Like I could have had pancakes if I wanted to. It just like did not ever occur to me to do that. Yeah. That's good. It's good to have the disciplines. It's good to, uh, at least again, this is your, uh, this is your fallback, your drawback, your, your, yeah. your safety blanket for being able to make, maybe you can splurge in other areas of your life because you're keeping That's, that, that breakfast, you know, hundred percent. That is 100% the way that I think about it. Like the idea of being like, well, I had a, like after you eat like a couple pieces of whole wheat toast and a virtuous piece of fruit, like <laughs> you can pretty much just take the cap off the number of tacos you're allowed for lunch and just, and just go off. Now we're talking. Yeah. That's good. Well, anyway, uh, we'll get to some NBA. You are, uh, I believe you're somewhat of a lapsed Nets fan. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's fair to say. I, uh, I grew up as a New Jersey Nets fan and was an obsessive fan of theirs for the, the entirety of the Drazen Petrovic administration and oh. many other years beyond. And, you know, they were the, the team I think I cared the most about. I, you know, I care about baseball and I, for whatever reason, have decided to be a Mets fan and remain a Mets fan. But 
the Nets were a team that I, I fully chose. My dad was a Knicks fan. You know, everybody in my hometown in New Jersey uh, that cared about a quality basketball experience and not being sad all the time. They were also Knicks fans. And uh, so naturally, I decided I needed to cheer for the Nets. And they were pretty lousy for most of my youth. I mean, I was happy to be, it was like shortly after I graduated from college that they made those two NBA finals with Jason Kidd and Kenny Martin and stuff. And those were, that was like magical for me. But then it was not even a couple of years after that, that they were preparing to flee the state and <laughs> yeah. move to Brooklyn, which, you know, where I lived for some time. Uh, but it's just not, it was never the same to me. I've been to a few games there, but I think I've, like maybe half the Nets games I've been to since they moved to Brooklyn have been like with a credential for work. Yeah. Do you think there might be a chance when you'd let your uh, your feelings rekindle? Or are you aware that you're now like an NBA agnostic and uh, you, you're never going back? I don't, it's hard to say. That's because I'm mostly an agnostic. I went to school in Southern California and I was because I'm an idiot, uh, as as some listeners will have noticed already. I became a Clippers fan when I was out there, and they sucked even worse than the Nets did. It was like pre-Lamar Odom to early Lamar Odom when I was oh, in college. Those were the best. So yeah. disastrous <laughs> teams. Like Bill Walton roasting them on air during the KCAL 11 broadcasts. Like he would be, he would make fun of Michael Oluwakandi while Oluwakandi was shooting free throws. Like he'd be like, the next Tim Duncan, I would, I would stake my <laughs> reputation on it. Like just like clearly trolling the dude, which I, I very much admired. But they sucked. And so I stayed cheering for the Clips to a certain extent. And, you know, I watched the Nets some last year. Like, they're, uh, you know, I would rather watch two good teams play than watch the Nets and get upset. Um, and I think that part of the basketball agnostic thing is not going to change for me just because I don't, I don't want to have a rooting interest there. Um, but they're the spunky type of bad, and I enjoyed watching them, that they were like, I, like whatever they've done under under Sean Marks, everything before that was a, obviously a disaster. But they seem like they're making smart moves, and the team is full of you know energetic guys that are easy to cheer for. Like I have no problem you know watching them and enjoying it. It's just not you know like it was. Uh, and I've noted you said they're making smart moves. That's become a bit of a uh, a rallying point for uh, me. Yeah. Uh, as in, I think everyone is saying they're making smart moves, and I and I would say they've they've done very little. They're not going to be good for a long time, and I don't think they've done anything that like raises to like a B. Like, oh, they traded they traded uh, to get Mozgov in a, like a late first round pick, eh. or or yeah. D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, it's a B, maybe. It's know. all mar- it's all marginal. Like B I agree with that to a certain extent. I mean, there are like marginal moves that like have made it so that they're not appalling to watch, right? And which is and you know that is obviously not the same thing as saying that they're going to contend for a playoff spot or whatever. But you know. I think that there's a certain uh, dignity to that, like to choosing not to fail so abjectly that, you know, wherever that reasoning comes from, and it could very well be this kind of like cheesy ownership uh, canard that you can't rebuild in New York and you can't whatever. So it's like, you know, the Knicks can suck for 10 years, but they're always like right at the cap every time (laughs) they do it. Like that's like, you have to be trying that way. They're like the way that the Nets have tried. It's like, it seems to me like they've got, in the way that like a lot of sort of like bad uh, rebuilding teams kind of have that like they have basically the like third through 15th guys on a decent team. They just don't <laughs> those, but those first two dudes are extremely important. Right. Right. And they just, I don't know how they 
you know, get those anytime soon. I just think somehow the NBA landscape and like the, the nerd NBA Twitter has given them a free pass. And I don't, I can't put my finger on it where they're like, cause this whole argument of like, at least they're doing it the right way. And my take is again, like, well, they're not going to win 30 games again for the fourth year in a row. And yes, they have like some, again, uh, like sixth man, like Karis Levert. All right. He's kind of fun for a seventh guy. Uh, but th- th- I, don't, I don't see the, the process uh, or where they're going. I don't see the Sixers hope that the Sixers yeah. sold. It just seems like because everyone just agrees have... with like, oh, Travion Graham, that's a smart signing. Like, is it? Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's, I think it's definitely like, I think there's, there's reason to be skeptical of that too, because, especially because for me, like, I mean, I like basketball a lot more than I like executive cosplay, just as a general <laughs> rule. And I don't like get excited by the idea of being like, well, that's savvy. Like you got him for less than, you know, he should have cost on the market or whatever. Like, I'm not, I don't cheer for that. Like, I don't want anybody to get less money than they deserve just because like, you know, on principle, like that's the opposite of a principle, you know? And I think that the idea that, you know, that the Nets have, you can praise a GM for continuing to make good moves without the team getting better. Like, obviously at some point you're talking about something other than the basketball element of it. But, you know, at the same time, like, I think that the, the idea that like they're getting in position to get in position, like, obviously it's not satisfying, but given how disastrous the, the Pierce Garnett deal that they made was like, I think this is really probably about as well as they could have done it. That like D'Angelo Russell is not, I mean, I don't think going to be an all-star or anything. I think he's a fine player, but you know, that's as close as you can get to having a lottery pick when you trade all your fucking lottery picks, right. you know? I love, so, I, like, so credit where it's due to a certain extent. I was going to say, I love, I think, I think you just summed it up uh, excellently. They are, they are still getting in position to get in position. Which, which I, I can't appreciate, but it's still uh, Brooklyn Nets 28-19 uh, getting in position to get in position. I also yeah. keep in mind, like, they, the want, they wanted to be paying Tyler Johnson $20 million this upcoming season. Yeah. And they, yeah. they wanted to be paying uh, Donatus Modiunis $9 million. That guy's not even in the NBA. So I feel like, again, all these things that didn't quite work out, uh, no, no one cares about. And they're just like, Joe Harris, that's a smart signing. And I'm like, yeah, he's, he's pretty good. Yeah, it's a good, good price for Joe Harris. Definitely right. get a Joe Harris for that price. Right. I mean, that's, they've had a lot of that, too, where it's like, what are these deals where, like, obviously, it's fine if you have that room. Like, yeah, Alan Crabb is fine. But he's like, it's not the sort of thing where you, you get Alan Crabb and then, like, discover that he's actually Damian Lillard or right. something. Like, it's Alan Crabb. It's fine. Yeah, it's not yeah. bad to have Alan Crabb. But, it, like, yeah, it's, all it's, the, it's bad to have him as your highest paid player. But Right. For them, having that as their their market inefficiency is like overplaying, <laughs> overpaying rotation guys. Yeah. I think it's good that that didn't uh, really catch on more than it did because that's doesn't strike me as an extremely uh, scalable proposition. I think it's really interesting that you said you would prefer to watch good teams play than two bad teams play, and yet you chose willingly to be a Nets fan and then a Clippers fan. Like you had oh, two, yeah. you had two bites of the apples, and you're like, you know who I like watching? Uh, no, it's not Kobe Bryant. It's Eric Pietkowski. Yeah, no, I, w- I will refer you to my earlier statement that I am an idiot. That I, I think it's important to, to remind you that that statement is still operative, uh, even to this day. I, with the Clippers, it was just that I thought the Lakers were such an obnoxious sure. culture. Oh, yeah. And they were like at, you know, like sort of peak triumphal Kobe Shaq levels when I was in school and I hated them. But I mean, mostly it's just the same reason I didn't like the Knicks. I mean, they were like making the NBA finals when I decided to cheer for the Nets instead. And that was not beautiful basketball by any stretch, but it was just that I couldn't let myself, uh, 
either have that pleasurable experience of cheering for a good team or that I just was, again, like standing on some bizarre principle instead of uh, letting myself watch good basketball. Well, if Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant both come to the Knicks next year, will you, will you find that repulsive or will you be engaged and maybe kind of swayed by it? The Knicks are, are a strange case because I, I don't hate them anymore. I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, how could you do that? Uh, it's like, whatever, having like a real vendetta against like Pizza Hut or something, you know, it's just like, obviously it sucks. Or you, you, know, could, have like, said, you could have said Papa John's, but. Right. You know, I could, I wanted to, I'm diversifying my brand. I don't want to kick Papa while he's down, obviously <laughs> uh, pulling for him to get back on top. But, uh, <laughs> that's not true at all. The, but with the Knicks, it's like, it, they have some players that I like. I mean, it's, and so I think that it would be lame to me if like, you know, they, I don't know if it'd be lame. I can't really imagine that actually happening. The idea of like Kyrie and Kevin Durant deciding they want to play together in New York and, and win a title. Like all of that makes sense. You know, that's like that sentence scans front to back, but also like I've watched the Knicks for a long time. Like that's, I don't really think they want to do that. Like the idea of like you go in and like James Dolan's there and like a mock turtleneck and he won't make eye contact <laughs> with you. Like it doesn't matter how cool New York is and New York isn't as cool as it used to be. Like they'll just go someplace else. It's fine. Well, somebody, somebody's coming next year. I, right. I am not a believer that it's going to be Kyrie or Durant, but someone is going to take a max contract from the Knicks next year, and I'm I'm not sure who it'll be. I don't think it'll be Boogie Cousins because they have a Kristaps Porzingis. They wouldn't do that, but I mean, somebody's on their way. Melo's back. Got to bring him back. That's what I want to say. I want to see Melo go back to New York. I want to see Boogie Cousins go back to Sacramento. I want to see everyone get a redo and just yeah. uh, be like, hey, what I miss. Uh, like a really like a crappy version of LeBron going back to the Cavs. Right, right. I'm coming home. Uh, if Durant, if Durant goes to the Knicks, I think it's an interesting question. That I don't know who I who I heard first pose it. If Durant leaves the Warriors, is that worse for his legacy of or how much he's criticized for going to the Warriors in the first place? Like, would it be better if he just stuck it out his entire career in Golden State and won a bunch of titles? I don't know. I mean, I wonder about that. I think with Durant, it's interesting because like he's. I like watching him play. I'm mystified by his choices as a public figure, like just in terms of how he presents himself and, and what he gets upset about. Um, but again, not in a way that, that I object to. It's just like one of those things where you're like, ah, oh, he's kind of a weird dude. And if he decides he wants to go like play someplace and, and be the cornerstone there or like play with his other close friends, then like I would respect it. Again, I just, I don't think that like New York right now as an organization, it's like just, there's no joy or hope that can escape from it. Like it is just the <laughs> core of its dolanness is so dense that like it would be, I mean, if I were him or if I were his, uh, uh, life coach, I would tell him to stay someplace where, uh, you get more sun and where you don't have to deal with, with the volume of bullshit that comes with Nick's life. It's pretty good. He could, he could go to the, the Clippers and uh, just rival yeah. rival LeBron James for the next uh, several years. I kind of think, like, I don't know if LeBron made it okay to do that, like, go away to college, like how he went to the Heat and win yeah. some titles and then, go, and then go back. Like, I don't know if Durant doing that, I feel like it'll just, I don't know, it'll just stoke the fury of the always outraged uh like Twitter mobs. Yeah. I, I can't decide. I mean, cause again, it's also, it's everything Durant says where you're just like, like, why are you doing that? Why, why are you tweeting at that 15 year old? You should. Right. I mean, he's very, I respect that he's like very open uh, with his emotions and stuff. There's not like this sense that he's like trying to put forward some sort of uh like overly branded persona for himself. But also like, I think that maybe he should 
try to have fewer emotions. <laughs> like it just because it seems like it's stressful to watch the guy sometimes. Yeah. Well, did you? We were debating this on our show. Would you think that Mike, if Michael Jordan had Twitter in his prime, would he have the same? Like, is it a competitive drive that Durant is showing when he can't stop tweeting, or is it like just a weird so- social uh, inability to 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 relate to people? Like, do you think Jordan would be getting in the same kind of having the same missteps? I think he'd he'd be like Kobe on Twitter. That it would just be weird, orotund. Uh, like sort of like perfectly circular and confusing statements about uh, like how you have to want it to win it or whatever. But like, it would just be that like wouldn't <laughs> respond to people, wouldn't read the menchies wouldn't, which is fine. I mean, that's again, that's a perfectly normal and even healthy way to use Twitter. But yeah, I don't think that, uh, that Jordan would have had just cause it doesn't seem like that guy's ever uh, encountered doubts of the kind that Durant, and again, this is to Durant's credit that he's like constantly sort of putting out there. But I mean, Jordan obviously is self-conscious in other ways, but not in a way that I think would uh, lead to meltdown May on Twitter or anything like that. I think, yeah, I think you're right. Although I do think there is a chance like someone people would surface with like uh, Michael Jordan DM'd me. I'm going to murder you. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and like that. That's definitely. The part, <laughs> yeah. Like the things would be completely reasonable, like the public facing stuff would just be like, I'm so happy to partner with these exciting brands. But then the DMs are just, yeah, nonstop <laughs> eggplant emojis. And then, yeah, whatever, <laughs> like sending like ISIS videos to like Paul George or something, just like real dark. Yeah. yeah no one really knows the depths of uh, of MJ, but um, I fear that they are darker than any of us could bear. So you mentioned healthy Twitter habits. One of my healthy Twitter habits is I have just tons and tons of political figures blocked. Like I just, I, I don't, I don't want to care. Like I just, you know, I see the quote tweets every now and then I have to look behind the curtain to be like, Oh, why is every, what is, what has our president done today? T- type yeah. type thing. Uh, you don't, you lean into it. Like you, I get a lot of my stuff uh, filtered through whatever, whatever your take whatever your filter joke system I'm so is sorry man no no i love it so that's that is like the way i i can accept my news through this whatever your uh, fake joke about something uh but recently uh our president uh tweeted about lebron james it got everyone up in like a huff once again and i know everyone likes to imagine like what if the president just did this or what if you know we had our west wing world where aaron sorkin could write a dialogue but i was actually struck with his tweet like what if Trump actually came at LeBron with actual basketball criticisms, I feel like it would have been amazing and it almost could, could have flipped the tide for him. Like, what if he yeah. said, what if he said, good luck with your school, uh, you know, but I can't believe you've only gone three and six in finals, uh, not my goat. That's what I was going to say. Like, I like guys who improve their three-point shooting over the course of their careers. Right. Yeah, like that actual version of, I mean, I think that's the thing, the, the Trump difference uh, is that he never tries and he doesn't know. <laughs> right, right. No, he's perfectly aggressive. He's as aggressive as anyone on Twitter. You can't fault that. Like he really, he gets out there every day and is a total fucking dillweed to everybody <laughs> that he can be a dillweed to. But he's not going to ever do like a detailed enough job. Like he'd just be like losing LeBron, you know, like, I, mean, like, I made up a nickname. I'm done. Right. Like, that's all he does. I was thinking, even if he didn't say, you know, as is his want, even if he said something that was inaccurate, but was still like a, a typical like internet argument. Like if he just said like, congrats on the school, LeBron, if you'd stayed in school longer, maybe you wouldn't give up the ball so much in the clutch. <laughs> yes. Like that, that would have, 
I can definitely see that too. The idea of Trump being like a born again fundamentals guy. There. <laughs> right, 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 right. You've never shot 80% from the foul line, huh? <laughs> I, think, I just don't see how you could be the best player ever if you can't make your free throws, losing LeBron hashtag. Yeah, that's right. That would be, well, I mean, yeah, that would be interesting too. I mean, because Trump loves to have takes on sports and they're always, you know, as somebody that's that followed him on Twitter for a long time, he blocked me some years ago. And I still will periodically like, you know, obviously you see a lot of screenshotted stuff and I will have it, you know, an incognito window open to see if people, <laughs> if enough people are just tweeting like, oh my God. And then this right. says tweet unavailable. Like, I feel like I should know, you right. know, like I don't want to, but it seems like something like my obligation to, to figure it out. <laughs> uh, but for him, like he used to, it's the same way that he talked about like the forest fires, for instance, in California, where he's like, you got to use the water to put out the fires. And additionally, <laughs> you have to take down the trees that keep burning down. Come on, <laughs> let's get smart. You know, and it's like, he doesn't know what he's talking about, but he's very sure that everyone else is a dope and that whatever the dumb idea that he has is correct. And I think that with, you know, with baseball, for instance, which is something he's tweeted about a lot, there's a lot of that shit where it's just like, you can't lose to the Indians, just can't do it. You know, <laughs> See, and that's like, I and haven't him, even heard. I hadn't even heard those those forest fire tweets, so I I hadn't unblocked those. It sounds like what you're describing. It sounds like he's the uh, the character from the new Star Wars that Oscar Isaac's plays, where he just <laughs> says stuff like "close the doors, fly faster, like yep. run." It's like, yeah, <laughs> we're getting shot at, dude. We're doing it. Like we're Interesting going. Interesting concept. Let's try that. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely that's I think 100 percent what we're we're dealing with with the guy. That it's just like, and you know, in some ways that's. In, as with all Trump stuff, that like if you abstract it enough and you remove all the the racism, it's a lot to ask. That's like a a big conditional clause to put at the front of a sentence. But if you take it all out of there, then he's he's like Dr. Steve Brule or something, and it's hilarious right, because yeah. everything like all of his ideas are just like we need a treaty. I got to meet with him, like <laughs> or call him on the phone. There's no way to do a treaty without talking. Like it's like all these like very basic observations that he dresses up as being like. Um, like business genius uh, thought gems, which, you know, I, I guess it's like if you, that's not really that different as uh, Corbin Smith wrote something similar, you know, making this point uh, over the weekend, that he's really not that different than like a hot take artist sports writer in a lot of ways. And that like this stuff comes very naturally to him. The idea of just <laughs> yeah. making some sort of like shit stirring point about being like, you know, just some like drive by thing about like, yeah, you went three and six in finals or something like that. That like that, you know, it's the most natural movement in the world for him. Yeah, I also have Skip Bayless blocked, so I guess. Oh yeah, yeah, that's it, a, I it guards me everywhere. Muted. <laughs> it's weird. I should be a little more. I follow a lot of people, and I should probably be a little more judicious in uh, in how I curate my feed. Well, I, I eventually had to block people because ever because like my my curated timeline, people that everyone quote tweets, where I'm like, no, I've, I've, I don't want to see what they have to say. So right, I didn't. It's the, the same thing for me too, and it's the only way around it because a lot of the stuff like the like the Krasenstein brothers and stuff like that, like I follow a lot of people that like to dunk on them, and that's great. But like, I don't follow the Krasenstein brothers because I don't want to see what they're saying. Yeah. And so, like, everybody, like, embroidering it with some, like, Billy Thompson dunking two basketballs gif. Like, I don't need that <laughs> shit either. You know, like, I just, I would just as soon not. All right. Well, hey, last thing to wrap up. You, uh, I'm not well familiar with this podcast, but I'm aware you have a podcast where you review Hallmark movies. My in-laws are obsessed with Hallmark movies. as, uh. as And my parents have just started getting into Hallmark movies. From the outside, I assume you guys are watching them ironically, 
But are you guys deriving any enjoyment whatsoever, or is it an actual just kind of a, a takedown of the idyllic life that they present? Oh, it's not. It's uh, we're trying as the the title. Dave and Jeb aren't mean suggests like we really do try to approach them in earnest and the movies themselves are, are very corny, but they are sometimes enjoyable. Like it's just, they're, you know, they're very cheap. They're very, uh, sort of like soft minded. Like they're just for like very gentle, <laughs> I think like largely elderly audiences. So it's like a lot of like small town stuff and like you learn the value of Christmas and like maybe you, you try to see your parents more, you know, like it's very obvious, uh, what type of wish fulfillment they're dealing in. But, you know, after watching, I don't know, 25 of them at this point and like taking notes, plus watching, you know, out of the corner of my eye, like many more. My wife is um, sort of a fan, but uh, although at this point, I think I've watched as many or more than she has. But it's like one of those things that it's the thing that you leave on on like a Sunday afternoon because it just runs all day while you're doing your taxes or while you're cleaning the house or whatever. And you know, the alternative to that is, is usually like SVU or whatever. So <laughs> right, this right. is the one that does not exist in like a whatever deep shit world of sexual crimes. Like in this one, it's mostly just like Alicia Witt enters a gingerbread baking contest. <laughs> and, I don't, you know, I've come to, to sort of like that, I think, as like an escape from uh, the actual shit world in which we live, that uh, there's something about how consequence free and gentle the movies are that I find, you know, pleasing and, uh, and, you know, for lack of a, a better word that I find it sweet. It's just also, you know, the, they're not very well made. They're often not very well acted, <laughs> uh, depending on, I mean, like Candace Cameron is in a lot of them. She's oh, like yeah. kind of one of the signature stars and my man, she sucks. She just <laughs> really can't do it and she shouldn't be headlining movies. And, it's a bummer when you see her in it, but there are other, you know, Alicia Witt, who I mentioned earlier is in a lot of them. And Alicia Witt's like a delightful actress, you know, it's just, there's, it's a narrow band, you know, like they never quite rise to the level of being uh, convincingly good or like even, you know, convincingly non-Canadian in their origin, but they are, uh, I don't know. They have a, a special place in my heart, even though I'm not really sure I can hundred percent justify it. Well, I, um, I wondered if it, if they would, if it becomes an acquired taste and then almost it becomes, as you said, like they're consequence free. I've seen a handful and they are like, they, they, they're this, there's, there's no problems in this world. It normally shows like pleasant looking 30 year olds kind of courting in the ways that like 70 year olds want people to court. Yes. Yes. Very well said. And so, and so it's <laughs> like, I wonder almost though, like when you see this idyllic life of nowhere in the world, America, uh, that like, do you start disappearing into it? It's like the star Trek thing where you go to the holodeck and you fall in love with the holodeck and you don't ever want to leave. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of that. I think it's, it's tougher because they're not really designed to be watched very closely. And, you know, for the podcast's sake, like we do watch them fairly closely. Like Jeb uh, Lund, my co-host is like, we've got a, you know, sort of a punch list of different tropes that we look for. Usually these movies feature um, an angel, either literal or figurative, often <laughs> literal, uh, that is there to kind of like move the action forward or whatever. So we look for the angel, we look for the hallmark product placements or whatever. And the more attention you pay to the movies, the, the worse they look. But I think that in general, like what you were saying in terms of that, that general kind of like, snowbound Christmas vacation vibe of them. Like there is definitely, you know, that it goes beyond being, I think an acquired taste to being something that like, I actually look forward to. It's just hard, you know, because <laughs> I'm trying to do a good job with the, the podcast. So I can't, 
I have to pay more attention to them than I should. And that's kind of a drag. But other than that, it's like, you know, if the alternative is like having to think about the NFL or like politics all the time, like, hell yeah. Like I've watched twice as many if it came to that. I I just remember the first time I saw one, I I cringed and was physically uncomfortable. And now I don't feel that way. And I'm worried. Yeah, no, that's, it's happening, man. This is the question (laughs) of uh, how dramatically and how fast it's going to happen. But yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, just for, for you or for anybody considering, uh, getting into the Hallmark universe, just be, you know, look for the, the cast and don't, <laughs> don't watch anything that's got people in it that you know are going to be bad. Like if, if you see uh, the mystery series, that has got Jewel in it. Oh, like just don't spare yourself. It's okay. Yeah. That's pretty good. Jewel doesn't know how to act. She'll, you know, lovely at other things, I'm sure. But yeah, I, I, I was going to try to say something nice about Jewel and I blanked. Anyway, yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> I, I want it's good that we're ending on Jewel. I think that's what, that's what podcast listeners crave. Perfect. All right, uh, David, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. Uh, give one more plug for, uh, for something of your choice. Oh, uh, well, I, you can find the stuff I write at Deadspin. You can find uh, Dave and Jeb are mean on Stitch, Stitcher and Apple, whatever podcasts and stuff. And then the Deadcast, which is you can also find on Deadspin, is me and, and Drew McGarry. We do that every week. And I uh, appreciate anyone checking out any of them. All right, David, thanks a bunch for coming on. And I look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks for having me, dude. I look forward to that, too. Have a good one. All right. Thanks to David for coming on. It was a fun, good talk. I'm always unsure when I talk to someone who's like a general NBA person when I'm not focused on a certain team, but uh, it was just an enjoyable talk. We could have kept going for a while on a variety of topics. So uh, enjoyed him coming on. Make sure you check his stuff out over on the Deadcast at Deadspin. Uh, his Twitter, uh, David underscore J underscore Roth, separates him from all the many other David Roths in the world, of which there are many if you Google his name. Anyway, if you want more Fast Break Breakfast, you can get that at patreon.com slash breakfast. If you're buying tickets this summer, use that code FASTBREAKBREAK at SeatGeek.com or on the SeatGeek app to receive $20 off your first order, perhaps on a preseason NFL game. we got NFL starting, if that is your uh, certain vice. You can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. All right, you guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, no apologize for being TNG. Fair break, break, man. You understand? Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has never been easier thanks to SeatGeek. They've created an amazing app and website that makes ticket buying easier than it has ever been. They pull all the tickets available on other sites in the one place so you never miss a deal. And more importantly, you aren't wasting time. You can even set alerts for upcoming events and they'll let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I use it all the time. SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. You get to see the full ticket price from start to finish, and they never surprise you with big fees at the checkout page. Now, here's the best part about SeatGeek for all of you out there listening to the Fast Break Breakfast. My listeners who make their first SeatGeek purchase get a $20 rebate. And to get it, all you have to do is download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click 
add a promo code, then enter promo code FASTBREAKBREAK. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It does not get any easier than that. So download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code FASTBREAKBREAK today.